0: stop. <inaudible> One, fifty, forty, thirty. Pour moi,
1: je suis prêt à Tu vas pour
0: Welcome to Airbus.
2: Welcome to the Airbus podcast. We make it fly. My name is Courtney Wu, and in this special three-part series, we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the X-Cube's maiden flight. Building the X-Cube required exceptional secrecy and a very unique team. Up until its first flight, only a small group of people even knew of the X-Cube's existence. In this episode, flight test engineer Dominique Fournier gives us a peek at the tactics that made this possible. From isolating teams, early morning truck rides in the cover of darkness, this secrecy also helped create a tightly welded team of exceptional profiles from around the world. How does one get selected for such an elite project? Jonathan Hubble, the American technical representative who was hand-picked to accompany the XCube on its US demo tour, shows us how his after-work hobby helped land him the job of a lifetime. So we're here today um, with Dominique Fournier, who was the flight test engineer um, that accompanied the X-Cube um, from, from start to finish. Dominique, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, to start off, can you tell us first, for our listeners who might not know that much about aviation, uh, what is the job of a flight test engineer?
0: <laughs> I would say it's it's not an easy job because it's uh, to survey a test pilot, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the, the the role of the flight test engineer is to prepare the flight test and to lead the flight test in flight. So you need a lot of preparation to, to, to perfectly know your craft, your test program, exactly know, know what you have to do. And in flight, we are there to lead the flight, the flight test, and uh, define, decide the test point to be performed, monitor the parameters, uh, check if the test point is correct or not, and. Uh, and sometimes decide to do another one because we face uh, uh, an issue, or we find uh, an item to be, to, be, to be dig a little bit and to, to do that in flight.
2: So you're the essential partner of the, of the flight test pilot? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it's kind of couple, it's a team in fact. Huh?
2: Mm-hmm. Speaking of data monitoring, can you tell us a bit about that part of the role?
0: You have to control some typical parameters. Which defines the flight test and the outcomes of the flight test. You try to understand in real time if everything is going right or not. And if you find something which is suspect, first uh, you stop the test point before it becomes dangerous, and uh, you try to f- to see if in real time if flight if we dig, to, if you need to dig a little bit more to explain the phenomenon, the item, the issue, and so on.
2: So you're monitoring all of the parameters and responding in real time to what you see?
0: Not all, because we have only one uh, one mind. So, uh, <laughs> And uh, one point that we are sometimes helped by telemetry. People on ground, we have uh, much many more skin, screens than we have in, uh, on the aircraft. And we could specialize on, uh, on some items to help us by monitoring additional data. Uh, The telemetry on ground is a kind of uh, additional safe eye for us, indeed.
2: Tell us a bit more about the X-Cube, then, and how you found your way to that program.
0: In fact, I I remember that I was called by the flight test director at this period of time, was uh, Didier Guerin. So even if it was secret and I was not aware of, he told me that uh, there was a new program to be be launched, and he was asking himself some questions, and so on and so forth. And uh, at the end of the interview, I told him, OK, but uh, who is in charge of that? And he told me that it was Hervé Jamerac as test pilot and Daniel Semioli as a test flight engineer. And I tell him, but why well, is there are only uh, one flight test pilot and one uh, flight test engineer? As I said, usually there we were three. He told me, uh, because there is only two places on the X-Cube. And I tell him, OK, I want to be part of the team even if I only do uh, telemetry, so be on ground for a flight test engineer, which is uh, not uh, common. I told him I want that because I believe that due to the particularity of these aircraft, their workload on board will be so high that if you don't have a flight test engineer, which is a crew member, in fact a test crew member, uh, in the telemetry, uh, it could be difficult for them. And by the way, I I followed the first 11 flights uh, in telemetry and uh, for the 12th flight, uh, Daniel Semioli, who was the second flight test engineer, uh, told me, uh, you have your suit gear, so you fly today. And he take my place on the, on, in the telemetry room. And it, it was very interesting because I do remember that we were performing uh, performance tests. And performance tests are quite boring because you take an altitude, a speed, and you fly for two or three minutes. And uh, it was very quiet. Since minutes we did not exchange with the telemetry so with Daniel Semioli who was in the telemetry room and uh, at one time uh, I said to him uh, hey Daniel are you still there and he said to us yes just behind you and with Hervé we turned the the head back on the excuse to see if he he was there indeed (laughs) because in fact what was interesting in this configuration to have uh, two crew members in the aircraft and one in the telemetry we were working as we, if we were three on the cockpit, as mm-hmm. we are used to be.
2: So, you know, you'd mentioned, Dominique, um, that the X-Cube was a secretive program that not many people at the company, at what was then Eurocopter, knew about its existence. Um, it was highly secretive. Can you tell us a bit more about the secrecy and why it was that way, and how you managed to keep it a secret?
0: Yes, of course. So, so the decision to complete the, to complete the X-Cube project in secrecy was, uh, was taken at the very high level of the company and at the very beginning of the, of the project. Indeed, we were absolutely not sure to succeed to design and uh, to fly such an aircraft. The initial plan was to fly the x for about 50 hours. And indeed, we we flew 156 hours. So you see that at the beginning, uh, we are very cautious. And uh, so it was essential that the aviation community and our competitors uh, not discover the existence of the project until Eurocopter has decided to reveal it. Indeed, the happy few in charge of the project uh, were very conscious of the of the imperious necessity of the confidentiality and uh, at the beginning the secret has indeed created a kind of confraternity in the team it was very interesting to see that and tell us
2: a bit more about um where the the x cube was designed and assembled here on the site and how you managed to keep that a secret too
0: well it, it was quite easy because it was a, a dedicated team a small team in the dedicated building of the of the company so the assembly was was, was not difficult, as- it was not difficult during the assembly of the cube to keep the secret.
2: So you didn't have curious employees knocking on, on the door to the hangar, <laughs> asking what's going on. No, because on you in have here. to
0: know that you are uh, you, you should see where, where it was and nobody was willing to go there because it was not <laughs> the best place in the company. <laughs> it was called the cave. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we faced the problem that if the X-Cube should have flown from Marignan International Airport, uh, it would have been completely impossible to, to keep the secret. At this period of, of time, there was uh, 8,000 people on site, I believe. Uh, the, the day of the flight, all the factory would have known uh, what happened. And uh, I'm not speaking about all the spotters we have uh, all around the, the airport. So we decided to move uh, to East Air Force Base. Well, after six months of administrative and logistic process, because you can imagine that you do not uh, uh, rent a a governmental military hangar as you rent an apartment, it's much more complicated. They offered a brand new hangar to shelter the X-Cube and the whole team. The location of the East Air Force Base was a a very good one to keep the the secret. We flew the first time the 6th of September 2010, but the existence of X-Cube was revealed the 30th of September. Uh, By the way, on the 7th 7th of September, the Eurocopter uh, employees of all over the world were were informed by Lutz-Bertin in a dedicated speech that the X-Cube was existing, that the X-Cube of af- our firm is made in flight, and they were asked to keep the secret until the 30th of September, and they kept it.
2: That's amazing. So
0: it's completely amazing to see how the secret was was kept on this, on this project, even
1: yeah.
0: after the 7th the of September. I think the good fortune fortune was with us on, on that. <laughs>
2: So yeah, it sounds like one of the, the big moments, especially in terms of keeping secrecy, maintaining secrecy, was when you had to transport the X-Cube from the, the Eurocopter site in Marignan to the military base in East. I mean, how, it's many kilometers away. How do you do that without drawing any attention?
0: The distance by uh, road between Marignan and East is uh, about 50 kilometers. Transporting the X Cube was managed by our security officer, Stephan Paquet. He fought for hundreds of hours to find a solution. The operation has to be as discreet as possible, but we did not want to dismantle too much the, the, the X Cube. Transportation by road uh, appeared to be impossible uh, because, due to the length and the width of the, of the convoy, uh, some roundabout intersections uh, on the roads were blocking points for such a convoy, Their radius was too small and the convoys could could not take those roundabouts. So we even considered to transport the X-Cube in board of an Antonov 124, you know, this big aircraft. But the cost of such a short trip, because it would have been about 15 minutes of flight (laughs) (laughs) between Marina and Olyst, was was completely uh, exorbitant. So it was... uh, We also considered to carrying the X-Cube by uh, sling under one of our Super Puma. It would have been possible in terms of of weight of the X-Cube, the empty weight if we remove some parts, uh, was near but below the the max weight that uh, Super Puma is capable to to take on sling. So uh, we discussed that with with Hervé Jamirac, with the crew, and we said, okay, it's possible, but imagine that we have an issue Mm -hmm. And we are obliged to jettison the X-Cube. Um, <laughs> it could create some issues and some problems, and for sure we would have to find another, another job. So, um, it's not very well known, but the first journey of the X-Cube was indeed a boat, a boat trip.
2: Mm.
0: The X-Cube was uh, wrapped in tarps to hide it, and was put on a barge pulled by a, by a tugboat uh, and protected by, by patrol boats. And uh, this maritime convoy cruise across the Etember, which is a lake between Marignan and the Mediterranean Sea, pass under the Maritig uh, the Martig, uh, huge bridge, and uh, cross the Gulf de Fosse on the Mediterranean Sea uh, to land in the FL factory in Fosse-sur-Mer, because we were there at the west part of the, of the Air Force Base. So it was maybe less than 10 kilometers by truck. Uh, the, conv- the road convoy was escorted by the Air Force Police uh, motorcycle, under the control of the Air Force Commando, and, uh, and the, 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 the Air Force Engineer uh, cut the wire fence of the Air Force base uh, to, to allow the convoy to pass through.
2: Wow!
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was, <laughs> it was. It was interesting to see that uh, the, the, the Air Force Commando was there uh, to survey their Engineer cutting. The fence of their own air force base, so, <laughs> and uh, a, a kind of rough path was created, and uh, within the, uh, the the base. And at 1 p.m., the X Cube was in his uh, in his hangar uh, in Istre.
2: It's incredible, but you had so much support. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. That's clear. It was
0: p- as soon as you, you you explained to to people what was the X Cube, what was the objective, the enthusiasm was such that uh, you know. Even, uh, even the Air Force was re- ready to, to cut its fence uh, to allow us to, to come into, into the base.
2: Yeah. So then let's move on, maybe Dominique, to the team and the people. Um, you've said that the team was very close knit. Um, can you tell us about? What types of profiles were involved in making this happen?
0: In fact, one of the secrets of the XCube's success lies in the in this composition of team, because uh, experienced engineers uh, and technicians, some close from retirement or uh, even some coming back from retirement for a dedicated mission, uh, work daily with young engineers and technicians, and. Uh, the, 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 the mix of, the, of those two kinds of profiles was very, very, uh, very, fruitful. The challenge of the X-Cube has, has really created a, a team spirit as I have never found before. Um, every profession of the company, uh, from engineering to test, uh, manufacturing, assembly, quality control, and logistics, of course, contributed to the, to the success of the X-Cube. I'm used to say that each single individual who has taken part of the, this adventure had put a part of herself or himself in the, in the X-Cube. In fact, the, the flight test, when we were uh, flying the X-Cube, we were flying mm-hmm. their machine, not our machine. And uh, indeed, uh, I was used to say that they, they lent us for a short period of time when we were flying the X-Cube.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, personally, I've never practiced... Uh, uh, sport at very high level, I mean, uh, very high level, but I really believe that the X-Cube team, the spirit of the X-Cube team, was was the same of a, of a professional team or a team which is capable to to move mountains, uh, as in some sports.
2: Well, thank you so much, Dominique. It was really great speaking with you today. Uh, I learned a lot and loved hearing your stories. <music> In this next part of our podcast, we hear from Jonathan Hubble, the technical representative who cared for the X-Cube on its U.S. demo tour in 2012. John builds experimental airplanes for fun, not in a factory, but rather in his garage. By day, he resolves technical issues for American customers. But in his spare time, John hammers together small fixed-wing experimental aircraft inside his home, which he then test flies before bringing passengers aboard. This fearless mentality might just be what got him the job with X-Cube. Here, John tells us about amateur aircraft and what it was like getting to know the world's fastest helicopter.
1: I'm a member of the Experimental Aircraft Association. It's a group of uh, home builders and basically, basically aviation enthusiasts really from all over the world. I've built uh, two experimental airplanes, and um, it comes in a kit from an aircraft company called Vans Aircraft, but they, they ship you basically all the parts, and you have to drill all the holes and pound all the rivets and, and build build the aircraft just, just like it would be built on a production line, uh, but there's only one aircraft on the production line, and that's the one that you're building and it really helps you learn all those different systems whether it's you know fuel systems or hydraulic systems or electrical systems then you know once once the aircraft is built then uh, you have to do all the test flying so you become the test pilot and there's a whole um, chapter on you know in the instructions on how to to test fly the aircraft Uh, and then once all that's done you're able to take passengers in the aircraft. I definitely think that helped for working on an experimental helicopter for sure. You know, my boss knew that I had built two aircraft. He knew that, um, you know, I was into experimental aircraft and since this, the X-Cube was definitely experimental, um, he thought I would be a good fit for the project. Who was very very rewarding and and definitely a a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do that.
2: Could you describe this moment for our listeners, the first time you saw the X-Cube?
1: Absolutely. Um, The first time that I got to see uh, the X-Cube was actually on the ramp at our home office there in Grand Prairie, Texas and um, the aircraft took off very normally, just like, like a helicopter um, was out flying for maybe maybe 10 or 15 minutes and um, you know, we, were, we were looking out for it to come back and, and land and we spotted the aircraft and it was flying at 180 knots on the downwind uh with the landing gear down <laughs> so it was it was quite a quite a sight really to behold you know one it's not normal to see a helicopter flying at 180 knots so that's the first thing that catches your eye but then to be doing it with the landing gear down was uh was pretty impressive that uh that it could even maintain that speed at um uh, in in the pattern at 180 knots. So it definitely made a lasting impression on me. And I knew at that time that, um, well, if it can do 180 knots with the landing gear down, obviously it can go much, much faster than that.
2: Does anyone actually get to sleep on a trip like this or were you working around the clock?
1: In the US demo tour, we were able to fly, actually uh, select customers uh, in the aircraft. They got to actually fly with our test pilots and actually, you know, fly the aircraft, which was a, a really amazing experience for our customers. Um, and also the, the U.S. Um, Army got to fly the aircraft too. Um, but, but, you know, to make all those flights, uh, our inspections of the aircraft had to be done in the evening or late at night. And, you know, we we'd obviously did whatever we could in the and the technicians uh, would work you know, well into the night to to make sure that we would make those flights for the next day. And just a little side note there, we, we never missed a flight, the aircraft never broke down. It, the one that sticks out is um, we had to inspect uh, one of the drive shafts that goes from the engine to the, the main gearbox. I was simply just told to remove the left engine and I asked if maybe there was, uh, you know, any maintenance instructions or uh, anything like that, and the crew just told me that uh, the engine was easy to remove and th- that I would figure out how to do it. Um, I, I guess they had a lot of confidence in me, but they were they were correct, of course. It was it was very easy to remove. It's just a, a couple fuel lines and some electrical connectors because the engine is all FADEC, no no mechanical controls and, and some coupling bolts. And 45 minutes later, the, the engine was out and we were able to, to go in there and inspect that, that drive shaft that goes in between the engine and the main gearbox.
2: So there, there was no um, maintenance manual to go along with this demonstrator?
1: No, just because it was a, a, a prototype aircraft none of those uh, documents had been developed obviously we had all the drawings and everything uh, that we needed um, in case we needed to make make a part or modify a, a part somehow but it, it's a good way to learn you know it's you're you're just forced to go in there and, and figure out how to do it and uh, Airbus does a extremely good job of making sure that the aircraft is maintainable and and is easy to maintain you know to be able to to pull an engine completely out of the aircraft in in 45 minutes you know is pretty amazing for any helicopter let alone an experimental one so yeah it's um and you know a lot of a lot of those maintenance friendly designs and and thoughts will go into the the next project which is the racer project because with a demonstrator you can see if something works or something doesn't and you can learn a lot of lessons from that before the the aircraft actually goes into production you can fix all those those little things that uh, make the aircraft stand out and and perform better and uh, than, than other aircraft that are out there.
2: Um, John, you would said that the X-Cube was actually quite a simple design um, and that the demonstrator never broke down once on the demo tour. Why was this surprising to you?
1: You know, you would always expect some sort of problem with something that's so uh, revolutionary, um, something that's so cutting-edge design. You know, obviously there's, there wasn't a spare parts system for the aircraft. But I think it—I think it really proved um, how robust the, the design actually is. Um, how amazing that the aircraft was engineered and, and designed in such a way where um, even even the prototype flew flawlessly the the entire time, and it made every flight, it made every appearance. And, and went on to, to set world records for helicopters.
2: Well, it would be great if you could tell us, John, about few, a few of the truly memorable moments, uh, like what really stands out the most all these years later.
1: The, the, the Pentagon was, uh, was definitely the, the icing on, on the cake for sure. But, you know, I I will be honest. Um, I didn't think that we were going to get approval to land at the Pentagon. Just looking at it from a a pilot standpoint, I I was pretty sure that the U.S. government was not going to allow a French-registered helicopter that was experimental uh, to land inside the Washington, D.C. restricted area. (laughs) I I was... almost sure that that was not going to happen um, but um, somehow our our amazing team of people were able to get the proper approvals to let us uh, land there at the heliport at the Pentagon like I said there were several customers uh, kind of from all over the industry that got to to fly the aircraft in Grand Prairie Um, we flew lots of uh, army test pilots when we were in Huntsville Alabama it was an aircraft that, um, you know, possibly they may be interested in someday um, to purchase. You know, they were trying not to show any emotion of, of whether they liked the aircraft or didn't like the aircraft or anything like that. And there was one pilot in particular that was very, very straight, straight-faced in Huntsville. Uh, really didn't say hardly anything during the, during the pre-flight of the aircraft. They took off. Uh, went, they went out, did their demo, came back, and he was smiling and, and high-fiving his colleagues after the flight because I, I don't think he'd ever been that fast in a helicopter, obviously, and he was, he was very excited. So it was, it was, it was fun to, to really um, put a smile on, on everybody's face uh, with the, the performance of the aircraft.
2: Thank you so much, John. It was really great speaking with you by phone today and especially hearing the perspective of one of our colleagues from North America who was part of this amazing amazing project. That concludes this edition of We Make It Fly. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on all social media and use the hashtag WeMakeItFly to get in touch with us. We'd love to get your feedback. Thanks for listening.